your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. All right, welcome to oh, Stone Temple Pilots. Let's get rid of that. <laughs> All right, welcome to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line. Lacrosse County District Attorney Tim Grinke in with me for this hour. So if you have uh, what kind of questions would you, how would you pose, like, if you want to ask Tim Grinke questions, let's go down this avenue. Like, um, I guess anything relating to the criminal justice system, especially locally. I mean, we only have 17 bullet points here of things that I want to talk about. But okay. uh, you, you, we mentioned before, we were talking before the show, you had worked in uh, Ron Kine's office. Were you, you, were you an underling of Ron Kine back in the day? No, we were both underlings of Scott Horn back in the day. Oh, okay. Uh, I, yeah, I started in October of 95 as an assistant DA. Ron was already there, and about six months later, he left to run for Congress. So, okay. So that seems like, so six months, he could stand you for six months, and then he had to get out of there? I probably drove him out to Washington, yeah. All right. So I, th- I feel like you're, uh, you, you've, you've gained some votes here on the... <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so a bunch of things I want to talk about, and I'll just I'll go through the list real quick. Uh, the the hate crime um, addition, what do we call the hate crime extender? I don't know what you want to call that. En- with enhancer. Enhancer, there it is. Yeah. I knew it was a you were uh, that that we added the I think last week to the incident at Copeland Park uh, involving someone just att- allegedly attacking a, a person, a transgender uh, girl. A, a teenager um so that's one thing i've got some theories on that so we'll get we'll get into that in a minute um the sro school resource officer advisory board and we're, we're bringing uh we're having a school resource officer program again for for a year i think it's and then and, and if either party wants to get out of it they can just jump yep. out right like they have a i think it's a year contract so yep. either party at the end could probably end the contract and they can there's like you give a week's notice and then you can just jump out of the the contract which seemed kind of funny i'm guessing but i'm, I'm sure there'll be more talks as the year goes on but yeah it's a year a year-long contract and so and with that there's like a, a community or citizens or a volunteer advisory board so i kind of wanted to pick your brain on on what that makeup is versus the Lacrosse County Citizens Oversight or Citizens Advisory Board to, to county policing, um, so that's another thing. Is there is that a do you think there's a conversation to be had there and the difference? Yeah, um, yeah. Well, the, the the school resource officer advisory board is already set up in terms of who's going to be on it and what their purpose will be. Uh, the Lacrosse County board is in the process of de- determining if there should be a similar board but it will be countywide for all officers and not just the school resource officers in the city um, it remains to be seen what that board would look like or what powers they would have but i imagine at least one of the options would be a very similar process that the school resource officer board would have to have some citizen community input into policing yeah, there's uh, it, it's nice because you, a you have that right here in the county or right here in the city, and then b like you can just look at other examples of a, of county or a city advisory boards to policing, and you, you can kind of pick and choose the best avenues to to go. You know what? We like what Madison's doing there. We like what Eau Claire's. If Eau Claire had one, I don't think they do, but uh, you can kind of pick and choose. A um, couple other things here I want to talk with Tim Grinke, the Cross County DA, with is. 
Um, Todd Kenthammer uh, in jail for murdering his wife. Uh, that was that about two years ago. It seems like uh, a, 2017 was the trial. Okay, so pre-pandemic, I'll just say PP yes. pre-pandemic, which is anywhere between uh, just feels like a decade ago. Um, he's he's trying to appeal that charge and uh, just wants a a mistrial. He wants a retrial. A new, a new trial. Right? A new trial. Okay. Um, and is that this? Is that this week or is the other? That's this week. No, that's uh, two weeks. That's two weeks. The the thing that's this week on Friday is the you know what what happened just a couple of weeks ago the triple homicide that happened uh, you know just north of West Salem and. Uh, we'll just get a little update from you on that, right? On Friday, that that yeah. happens Friday, right? Yeah, it's scheduled Friday for another hearing. Okay, and um, the last thing on my list here of things to talk about, and if you guys have anything you wanted to ask the DA about, six zero eight seven eight five seven nine one four, call me, text me. I see somebody's calling already. I'll put you on hold because I got to get, and maybe I hung up on. Um, it's just kind of you know you've been here. 14 years, I think uh, Brad told you. <laughs> yes, Brad did the math for me. I've been DA for 14 years. I've been in the office for 25 years and i should have probably uh fired this at you during the day to to give you a better maybe heads up but uh just the i you know what you saw go through the the you know as district attorney what you were dealing with maybe 10 years ago versus maybe the last couple of years what's increasing what's decreasing how's crime and and your job changed i guess is that so yeah that well the, the biggest change has probably been the addition of meth and fentanyl we Ten years ago, I don't think we would have seen a single meth case or maybe even heroin, um, but it just came through everywhere, not just us, but the whole state, the whole nation had the heroin opioid crisis, and then it kind of changed into meth, and then adding fentanyl. So we have far more overdoses these days, Mm -hmm. Uh, tragically, some of those ending up in deaths. We would not have had that when I started. So that's been a a pretty big uh, shift. Um, Another big shift has been the huge explosion of surveillance video, social media accounts, uh, people's doorbell cameras. Um, Policing used to be a lot more about trying to track people down and talk to them, and now it's a lot more about surveillance, uh, social media accounts, cell phones, which people have everything, you know, on there, Um, and then various surveillance videos from the community. A lot more crimes are getting solved that way um, or prevented, depending on how you look at it. The downtown cameras have added a lot to the policing um, those are probably the two biggest changes is the uh, advancement in technology and the uh, increase in meth and fentanyl. That when you started, you had a Raleigh Fingers mustache, right? And you've trended it down. I never had a Raleigh Fingers <laughs> No, okay. Uh, all right, that's Tim Grenke, the La Crosse County District Attorney. Brad's got to do the news. We'll be back in just a minute. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 if you want to get in here. you got a question for Lacrosse County District Attorney Tim Grinke. Uh, a couple of people texting in. Uh, somebody tried calling, but it was just a baby in the background, Tim, so I don't know if that if a baby had a question for you or not. I didn't understand it. Um, now, I, the first thing I think I wanted to just – I wanted to get into, and this is my, my trying to um, – I theorize here is the hypothesis I have. So a, a while back, the the city council passed would you call it an ordinance? Yeah. For weed possession under twenty five grams, you would get you would get a, a dollar fine. Yep. And what was it before that? If you oh, had, I don't know the exact you. amount. I don't know, but, but you a pretty big fine, maybe. Yeah. And would you you wouldn't go to jail or anything? No, no, though? just the city ordinance, so it's just a fine. Would it be on par with like getting a DUI at that at that time? A first offense, yeah, it'd be like a traffic ticket, more like a traffic ticket or a noise violation or a 
trespassing, something that the city handles at their level. Okay, weed possession over 25 grams, or twenty under 25 under, grams. Right. Okay, so, but 25 was the number even before we passed this ordinance, I you think? I think so. Okay. I think so. Um, and so the city council passed that, and uh, last couple weeks ago, the mayor put out a statement just based on, so a, a, a guy at Copeland Park attacked a couple of teenagers, right? They're both teens, I, I believe, and... Um, I just like for, for no apparent reason or allegedly attack, I should say. And one of those, one of those teenagers was a transgender girl. And it seems that he had a problem with that, which is maybe led to him attacking. And the mayor said a couple, a couple weeks ago, I think, uh, maybe it was last week, but he was on my show and he was like, change the law. We need to change the law. So attack an attack, uh, for no reason, essentially on a transgender person is not really, considered or, or hasn't been considered a hate crime in the state of wisconsin it's kind of confusing okay so i'll do my best to unpack it all um so the state of wisconsin has a hate crime enhancer so first you have to have some crime and it could be anything uh, it could be robbery rape murder battery <coughs> criminal damage property anything but if you commit that crime because of the victim's uh race sexual orientation religion ethnicity you can have the crime enhanced meaning you can be punished worse than you would Otherwise, one of the things that's not included is gender. Um, back when the law was passed, they thought gender might be too over-inclusive because almost every sexual assault would then be maybe committed on the sake of gender. So gender was not included. Um, these days, you know, sexual orientation is different than gender. We have people who consider themselves transgender or non-binary or uh, other terms that have nothing to do with their sexual orientation. So technically, some of these people... Uh, would not be covered under the hate crime enhancer. So I think what the mayor was talking about was changing the state law to include people who might be victimized for their status, um, and it's currently not covered under the state law. So at first, when this guy gets arrested and goes through court, the, the hate crime is not part of his charges, right? Uh, so the police arrested him for the felony battery. Um, this DA's office, and I should mention he's still innocent until proven guilty, but we've allegedly uh, alleged him to have committed the crime with a hate crime enhancer for sexual orientation. Okay, because you added, is there is there a the terminology there? Did you have is there some sort of like are you sidestepping something or just making an assumption there or that that it wasn't right away? We're going to do this right away. Um, so the, I just want to make confusing people. The police oftentimes arrest people for a crime, and we will add enhancers like. Uh, the habitual criminal enhancer. Um, that's not usually considered by the police. The hate crime enhancer was uh, noted as a possibility in the police report, but that was added by the DA's office. We're the ones that make the official charging decision. Okay. So. Okay, that makes sense. So when when the mayor says, hey, and he's not talking to you per, per se, but he's talking to state legislature, Correct. he's like, get on top of this. This is something that, that probably happens more often than, than anyone would, would know. It's just now it's happened here. Like, so why aren't we doing anything about this? But so and go back, getting back to the weed thing. So at some point, the city council passed an ordinance to make punishment for weed under 25 grams a dollar, a dollar fine. Um, and this would be kind of the opposite of that. Why can't the city council pass some quote unquote ordinance sure. to make uh, something like this guy did at Copeland a hate crime? And just instead right. of you having to an, like an, make it an enhancer or something like that, where the where it's just set in stone, uh, what'd you say? Sexual or not sexual orientation, the uh, transgender. Yeah, so transgender people like that when when they're you know attacked like for no for no reason other than who they are, 
Why why can't the city do that? Okay, so the city could do something like that, but it, again, it would only the only authority the city has would be, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> I get emotional when I talk about the city. No, go ahead. Um, yeah, just uh, the the idea here that the uh, got a sip of water. Yep. The ahead. only authority they have would be passing an ordinance, which means just a, a forfeiture, a ticket. Again, um, what the mayor is asking the state to do is make it a state crime. So it's handled by the DA's office, by the circuit court. There's a penalty behind it, which may be jail or a fine or probation or prison if it's a felony. Um, so the difference is the amount of penalty that comes with it and also the coverage statewide versus just citywide. Okay, so the city, is it too big of a crime that the city couldn't pass an ordinance? So if something like that happened again in the city, at least they could do something about it? Well, again, it, it's, uh, it would be a, a relatively minor punishment for what most people consider a pretty egregious crime. Okay. So it'd can't. be like the city passing an ordinance against murder or something. It'd be kind of like that's really not much. Just paying a, a fine for something. Okay, so they can only they can't they can uh, do an ordinance and give people jail time or something. Correct. But they couldn't do uh, hate crime. Ten million dollar fine. They Correct. couldn't do that either. Correct. There's, There's a, a cap. Correct. Okay, that makes sense. This All right. Meant for minor things and minor status offenses. All right. Got to. I tried. I tried. I got to the bottom of that one though. So um. All right, so what do you, what else do we want to get into? I want to save the 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 advisory citizen oversight board for for the second half of the hour here. But the Todd Ken, Ken Hammer um, guilty of murdering his wife, uh, essentially. Like his story was that a pipe went through uh, the truck window and, and impaled her. I guess um, that happened just north of here, right? It was that? Uh, West Salem, West Salem, just north of West Salem. Okay, kind of similar in a, in a similar area to where these triple homicides happen, huh? Same road. Uh, a couple miles apart. Yeah. Okay, so that's pretty interesting. Um, so essentially, he wants a, a new trial because he says his lawyer was incompetent, uh, ineffective, ineffective. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Sorry, lawyer. That's all right. The uh, yeah, he's made a motion for a new trial because his attorneys made a number of mistakes. Um, one was not asking for a, a change of venue to a different location. Um, a few of the other ones were more specific to the facts of the case. Uh, different experts should have been called. Uh, some of the witnesses maybe should have been presented. Um, so he's alleging, yeah, that his attorneys were ineffective by not presenting the best case that they could have, uh, knowing what they knew at the time. Judge Bierke will make the decision um, one way or the other, and if it's denied, he'll probably appeal to the state appeals court. If it's granted, the judge would set a new trial. I mean, this makes total sense for Todd Kenhammer because he's in jail for quite some time, and any way he can try to... Uh, any avenue he can, he can do to alleviate that would would make sense. That would this be something that would, like it would no longer fall under to you to to be part of? Um, no, this is pretty normal. Almost every trial, there's an appeal because uh, you know a lot happens within a trial that can be questioned after the fact, and so most people do file an appeal. So this is pretty normal in that sense. Um, and if it were a new trial, it would once again be the lacrosse D's office trying the case on uh, the same judge, um, and everything else would be the same. Um, but it's pretty typical to file an appeal after a trial, especially because there's a lot that goes on. When people plead guilty, there's probably less appeals because there's more of an agreement of what happened was was fair and they agreed they did it. But anytime there's a trial, there's usually at least one appeal. Okay. Um, and, and speaking of questions after the trial, uh, Phil texted in and I just you, you let me know, uh, was the manufacturer of the pipe that went through the windshield ever established? I don't know. Um, well, we, we uh, the jury found that uh, they didn't believe that a pipe went through windshield, but the pipe that was found, uh, no, I don't think we know the manufacturer of the pipe. Okay. 
Um, all right, so and then so that's that update. The other update, we you know uh, uh, there was a triple homicide just again on Co- County M, right? County that's M. M, just north of West Salem. There, this this homicide apparently happened. Did it happen at the entrance of that quarry, or, or, or did did we find to figure out that maybe it was inside that quarry more? Um, I can say according to the complaint that we filed, um, this has been public record that the bodies were found outside the gate. Uh, the gate was still closed, and it was found bodies were found outside the gate by employees showing up for work that morning okay and you don't have to comment but i was i was wonder i went and took some pictures of the entrance first of all it's kind of eerie because i'm like okay people were murdered here this is kind of scary and um but taking pictures of that entrance there you know you can from the road you can easily see the entrance so hope you know thank goodness nobody else drove by uh to see what was going on otherwise we might have you know a stickier situation than we have but uh, Friday. This happens Friday now. The, the they'll be back in court uh, in fr- on Friday. Can you kind of give us an update on where we're at with that? The, yeah, the cases are scheduled for a hearing this Friday, um, primarily to make sure that they've got attorneys assigned to them. Um, and so we'll the court will get an update on where they're at on on having attorneys assigned and set another date from there. Okay. Um, how long do we anticipate that? You know, assuming that maybe they they would say not guilty, they would plead not guilty. I mean, are we are we going to be like years out before this comes to fruition? Can't really tell. It's it's always too early to say. Uh, you know, every case has a kind of a different lifeline. Um, if people file demands for speedy trial, you can have a trial in as quick as uh, ninety days. Uh, more often than not, people don't do that. And trials are at least six months away, if not more likely a year. Part of that is due to just both sides being able to look at all the evidence and prepare. Part of it is due to the judge's scheduling. Uh, if you need like a week-long or two-week-long trial, they've already got you know schedules booked out a ways. Um, so I tell most people when they get involved in the system, you know, best-case scenario, the case might be done in three months. Worst-case scenario, it's going to be more than a year. Mm-hmm. Most cases settle sometime between six months and a year. Do you think that each one of these men, or both these men, I think there's two of them, uh, would they be tried separate, so it'd be two separate trials, or would they be lumped together? Um, well, again, first I have to stress that they're presumed innocent, um, but if the cases are scheduled for trial, it's it's too early to tell. Okay. It could be either way. All right, so uh, that's Tim Greinke. He's the Lacrosse County District Attorney. When we come back, I want to talk about, you, we, you, you mentioned this, and I think it's a pretty interesting conversation, just the crimes that we're seeing uh, maybe the past few years versus the crimes that you were seeing in the district attorney's office back in, well, 14 years ago when you started and kicked Ron Kine to the curb. Um, and then also I want to talk about the SRO advisory board that the uh, school system has versus uh, what the county is looking at with the citizens oversight board. But before that, Scott's comment, Brad doing the news. We'll be back. All right. Welcome back to lacrosse talk. Shut up, Pearl Jam. Lacrosse Talk PM 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line. Uh, Rug from Trempolo texted in Tim uh, Tim Grinky, the district attorney here in Lacrosse County, uh, in the studio with me. But Rug from Trempolo County said, "I hope I never have to meet Mr. Grinky." So I don't know if that's personal or if he's talking uh, in the courtroom. <laughs> Not sure how to take that. <laughs> um, all right, so uh, we I. I I got another topic that I think I just want to jump jump ahead here real quick that I didn't mention earlier in the show. And we were just doing this over the break because I thought it was it's pretty interesting. Um, this is going through the Twin Cities now, right now the the Porter case, Potter case, where the the officer pulled out her gun instead of her taser and ended up killing killing a and a guy. And uh, 
the jury is not going to, it's going to be, what was it? Anonymous jury or something like that. Yeah. Anonymous jury. And the Chauvin, Chauvin trial, they didn't release the names of the jurors. I think that's still up in the air yet, whether they would release the names of the jurors. Um, and just, do you have an opinion? Can you, can you, sure. you have an opinion on that in, in these trials that are so public? Like that just seems. Yeah. There's, so there's a difference between having a jury that's anonymous, meaning the defendant doesn't know who they are. Who you might think of like in an organized crime case where you think the jurors might be in danger just by being jurors where a scary defendant might try to tamper with a jury or something. You have a movie example. No, uh, no I don't. <laughs> but, or there's also just the defense knows who they are. The defense attorney knows who they are. It's just that the general public doesn't know who they are. And I, I see a difference. I think the defendant has to know who the jurors are so they can figure out who they want in the jury learn a little bit about their background, be able to ask some questions. You know, that seems to be pretty basic. But giving the jurors out to the media is could be harmful because we take people who are just random, everyday, ordinary people, have no connection to the case. They come in and we say, hey, look at these dead bodies and look at these autopsy pictures and listen to victims being talked about being sexually assaulted. And it's pretty traumatic for a lot of the jurors. And then to add to that, oh, by the way, everyone in the world is going to know you're the one that either convicted or acquitted somebody and to set them up for the harassment that comes with it, especially these days, um, I just don't know if that's fair. And I don't know that it makes us a very good system because it probably drives people away from wanting to be jurors. And the system doesn't work if we don't have jurors that both sides can feel are fair. So, uh, you know, I would prefer that jurors' names not be made public just so they don't get the harassment. But I do, of course, think the defendant and the defense attorney, the prosecution, they need to know who the jurors are. To know if there's any conflicts, to know you know what biases these people might have, um, but I do think we put some jurors through the ringer, so to speak. Um, one juror after trial described to me as being in graduate school every day, getting all this technical knowledge, experts testifying, all this you know investigative work they've never heard of before. They're supposed to cram it and then somehow make a decision, while at the same time not being able to process the fact they just saw a dead body or a picture of a dead body. Right. Or heard some very extraordinary circumstances. And, and the pain and the emotion that people are going through, and they're not really built for that. That's not their career. It's not what they signed up for. So we really put jurors through a lot, if you think about it. But our system really depends on objective, fair jurors. Did you pay attention at all, like the jury selection of that George Floyd Chauvin trial? I watched some of it. Um, they did it a little different. They were going pretty slow. So I didn't watch a whole lot of it, but I did see some of it, some of the questioning. Um, just the idea there, you know, like – First of all, the George, I think the George Floyd thing, in in some ways or another, changed the world, or at least changed the, or or, or started to talk about changing uh, things in the United States. And the the idea that whether Chauvin is guilty or innocent, the jurors, if their names are released, whether what regardless of what happened, their their lives are going to be ruled by ruined by one side or the other. I think could potentially be. Um, they could also suffer trauma, harassment. Um, people trying to get even, um, and and their lives and become defined by that when it's not something that they like applied for. It's not like a job you're trying to go for. You're just picked an order that you have to come to court and do your duty and to encourage people to do that and be able, be able to do it and then be able to kind of recoup after it. I think we should give them their space and their privacy. If they want to talk, that's different. But if they want to not talk to the media and not have their neighbors know that they were on it, they should have that right, I think. Yeah, and we've had, I think, a couple of, at least one, I know, juror had talked after the trial. Uh, you know, there's one, you know, maybe they want to make themselves famous in that way, but that's their right. Uh, do you think, when you say you don't think the jurors should be made public, do you, in, in all cases or just certain? 
Well, I think um, it'd be fine with me if it were a blanket rule, um, and then people could ask for exceptions, because that way it would just be, you never know what might come out of a, a jury trial. But I just think when you're asking people to not even volunteer, they're being told to come in. <laughs> they don't really have a choice. And then they're being told you have to go through this excruciating process and then have someone's life in their hands and make this decision, which they're not really trained for, prepared for. Um, I think the least we can do is offer them services afterwards, which I know that we do uh, to the best we can, and also give them the time that they need to process it. And if they don't want to talk about it, they don't have to. Could could somebody, let's say, like uh, the George Floyd jurors' names are released. They didn't want their names released. The juror, all of a sudden, their life is ruined. Life is ruined uh, in some way or another. Could the, could a juror, because the name was released, turn around and sue the state somehow because they ruined their lives by releasing the names? That would be a weird thing to do. It would be. And I, I don't know the answer. I, I don't think so, but um, not my area of law. We did have some jurors question if they were forced to come in during COVID, and they got COVID would the county be liable? And that was a question that uh, I never found out the answer to it. But we do make jurors go through some stuff and, and go through some mental pain. So it is a, an interesting area. Um, the law might not agree with me on that. Um, I know the pre- preference is to have everything in the open, but I think there are times when it's, it's going to do more harm than good. And it's not like this stuff is happening over there or up there. The Twin Cities isn't that far away, but it is just not here. Uh, this has actually happened in La Crosse with the Ken Hammer case, you said. Uh, you said over the break, right? The jurors' names weren't, weren't released? Uh, uh, yeah, to the, again, to the public. The, the defense attorneys knew their names. The, the, the participants in the courtroom knew their names. But uh, the judge wanted to protect their identity from, again, media outlets or uh, people like that. But they're, they're certainly known to the people in the courtroom, and it's not anonymous, but it's just not made public for the general public to just find out who, who was on a jury. Yeah, because if I go watch the trial, yeah. I could see who the you jurors are. Correct. Would there be, if I knew a juror, let's say I'm reporting on the trial and I knew a juror, would it be, would I be in the wrong by reporting because I knew their name? Would that be something that would, are there rules there? There are court rules that would prohibit press from doing that, but I mean, you might get into whether the press has to listen to that or not. Um, First Amendment rights being what they are, but the court does try to prohibit that. Okay. They, they don't want uh, cameras in the courtroom to uh, film the jurors. They prohibit cameras from filming victims usually. Um, and then in the federal system, there is no cameras in the courtrooms. The Supreme Court doesn't even allow cameras in their courtrooms yet. So there are some limits to the First Amendment in the courtrooms. And that's why we see those drawings sometimes Correct. from trials. Is, you know, I don't know, do you, how is your art? Correct. Do you ever Not do great. it? Stick <laughs> figures. Um, all right, so in has there a, you know if it's not interesting then you can just has there been other cases in the past that that the jurors weren't released the names weren't released not that I can think of it it just usually hasn't been that controversial here in lacrosse um I know many jurors names have been released in the past but again we don't know the media outlets or the national trials that other people have had but I can imagine how that can be pretty intimidating for people to want to even be in a jury if their whole life will be turned upside down. I, I would say that it's probably going to happen more often where the jurors' names are withheld just based on how much more access I have to social media, the Internet, uh, different news outlets. Uh, some news outlets are really going to want to publish the jurors' names other, you know, if the trial went one way and if the trial went another way. Yeah. So, and, and just the idea that, that it's just easily more easy to get right. access to that. Yeah, I would want you know, jurors to be protected and want to serve on a jury and want to do a good job and want to be good citizens and not be terrified that something's going to happen to them 
during or after the trial. Do you think that uh, we go back to the hate crime thing and, and the mayor here in La Crosse saying, hey, state legislature, get on this, make this a hate crime when you're attacking transgender people? Uh, is this something that like, hey, maybe the state legislature should look at this with jurors just based on how social media works nowadays and cameras everywhere uh, and, the, and the, the ability to access pictures pretty easily uh, before something happens? We could be preemptive here. Well, it's, it's, it's not an easy issue. I mean, I, I, I have my feelings, but I can see how people could say, you know what, it's a public trial and defendants have a right to a public trial and people should know who our jurors are and media should be able to report on it. So it's not an easy call. But I, I do tend to lean more towards there's just no need to turn jurors' lives upside down. But I could see the legislature struggling with which way to go on it. It would be interesting to have a debate, but we never have debates right. in the state legislature. Um, you want to throw those out? I'm going to take a call here. Uh, caller, you're on Lacrosse Talk PM with Tim Grinke. Who's this? Hello. Hi, my name is Betty, and I am just calling in. Uh, we are having a rally for choice parents and healthcare workers this Saturday, August 14th, from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m., corner of Losey Boulevard and Mormon Cooley Road. Again, Saturday, this Saturday, from 11 to 1. Healthcare workers, and we are rallying for our have our freedom of cho- choice. All right, thank you. Thanks, Betty. Um, thanks for that. Uh, all right. So doing her own show there, I guess. Uh, interesting. Um, all right. I want to get to, what did I want to get to, Tim? I don't remember. The, we did the triple homicide thing. I interrupted everything with the jury. Um, you, well, you did, oh, the SRO, SRO. The SRO deal. So uh, the, 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 the school has a contract with La Crosse Police Department to continue the school resource officer program. There's going to be three resource officers. I think a DARE officer. And then um, with that, there's going to be a citizens advisory board uh, at the same time. And that, that, that happened pretty fast. The, the advisory board had to be the, the, the rules for that or who's going to be on that. They, they came up with that pretty quickly, right? Uh, I wasn't in the um, directly dealt, dealt with that. So I'm not sure how much time they put. I know they put a lot of time into figuring out the process, but I, I can't, I guess, speak to how much time it took. All right. So on the flip side, La Crosse County is trying to do a citizens oversight board uh, for all police in the county. Uh, we're, we're kind of snails pacing that, but that's how that these things go. Whether, you know, I think Madison, I, I want to say it took years to, to figure it out. Yeah, at least a year, if not more. Um, so it's not like, hey, hurry up, we need to do this. So we're actually taking our time and, and doing due diligence to, to figure this out. What is the biggest, uh, I guess, issue as of right now with creating a citizens oversight board with police? Um, the big, well, the, there's a couple of ones that are, are difficult. One is the, the, the scope of their authority. Uh, you know, what is the legality for a county board over police officers from a municipality like, say, on Alaska or Holman? So that's one big issue to work out is what's the scope of their authority and where they get their authority from. And I think that the second biggest thing is what would their role be? Would it be simply advisory uh, to, like, help review policies or look at training issues? Or would it be more direct supervision of um, people coming to them for issues like uh, complaints about the police or complaints about policing? So I think those are the two main areas that would probably need to be worked out at the county board. And right now, the county board has sent it back to the Criminal Justice Management Council for uh, a little bit more discussion about um, kind of what people want to see. And then hopefully it goes back to the county board for them to have that discussion of what kind of authority do they have, how far can they go, or not go, and then what? what's the scope of their authority and their role? 
the police and fire commission oversees to an extent the city of lacrosse's police department would would the would the the citizens oversight board from the, from a county level is it is it overkill to have that and a police and fire commission or is the police and fire commission a little bit different um well i guess that's one of the one of the arguments to be had um I think the idea would be to enhance what the police and fire commission already does and to do a little bit more than what they do um, because they wouldn't be doing the same thing. That would be redundant. But I think the idea is to have a little bit more um, access for the public, um, a little bit more opportunity for um, directly involvement with the police. Um, the police and fire commission has a, has a more limited role over certain issues within the police department. I think people want this advisory board to be a little bit broader and have a little more control countywide over over all the officers and the police and fire commissions have but that's one of the that's one of the uh discussions that has to be had what's the role how is it different is it redundant is it creating too much extra work does it help those are the kinds of things that need to be studied the the city police has the free police and fire commission do other police yes um so on like alaska has a police and fire commission county um county does not because the sheriff is elected and so um, they're county employees that um, really the county board acts as their, um, their board, so to speak. Uh, I don't think the town of Campbell has one. I think they're just supervised by their town board. Um, Village of Salem, I think, and Village of Bangor, I don't think they have police and fire commissions. I think they have also just operating their village boards. So not everyone has a police and fire commission. And part of that, you, you mentioned a little bit, is the idea that if we had a citizens oversight board and I had a problem with the police, instead of going to, first of all, I don't think a lot of people know, oh, I go to the police and fire commission. That's like, you gotta, gotta be in the weeds there. Um, I have a problem with the police. You know who I'm going to go to? The police, which would be kind of, you know, a little bit maybe scary to some people. I want to go complain to you about what you're doing to me. Yeah. One, one of the views of the advisory board would be to kind of help people navigate that process. So almost be an advocacy group for people who complain but don't know how to or maybe not have all the ability to or need help. So they have somebody who can say, here's how we do it, and here's where we go, um, and they don't have to go through a formal process. They just can do something a little bit more maybe informal and have some help doing it. So that is one of the ideas behind why this board would be helpful. And it, like you said, not everybody wants to go to the police to complain about the police. Um, they'd rather have somewhere else they can go to to yeah, concerns and it might even alleviate some of the duties that the police would have with people going, you know, like it would be like an intermediary between. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I could see it being helpful. You know, again, the devil's in the details and, and who knows how it would turn out. But I can imagine it would be helpful for the police rather than dealing with somebody who's mad at them to have somebody else be assisting and helping mediate that and, and helping communicate between people who might not otherwise communicate with each other. That's Lacrosse County District Attorney Tim Grinke. All right, we're going to take one more break. We'll be back after this. What makes Mr. Electric different? Sure, it's the yellow. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. Lacrosse County District Attorney Tim Grinke. I'm with me. A couple minutes left here. I want to get to uh, two things. Libertarian guy. So we were talking about the hate crime enhancer a little bit. And um, so we, I've had this argument or discussion. I don't know if it's an argument. Uh, during uh, past shows. The idea that a crime is a crime and you don't have to add hate crime to it. He's, if if okay. a person's guilty of beating someone up, they're guilty of beating someone up. Anyway, so Libertarian Guy says, to prosecute a hate crime, you have to discern what the person's thoughts were when they committed the crime. That's like George Orwell thought police, he says. Uh, just Do you have a perspective on this? Um, so it's true that it's the one 
rare exception that we have to prove a motive, which is sometimes hard. You don't always know why people do what they do. Um, but sometimes you do. They make it explicit, and they, they say why they are committing a crime. Uh, one of the criticisms of, of hate crimes is that it's punishing people for their thoughts, um, which is rare. And most of the time in the criminal law, we don't do that. We don't even have to prove motive. Um, but since the 90s, the U.S. Supreme Court has said that it is acceptable for states to pass these laws to protect people that might otherwise be vulnerable. So if there is somebody committing a crime against somebody who is a different race, different religion, um, there might be minorities in your population that deserve more protection from people who have this hatred towards them. So that's the reasoning behind it, uh, and it's been upheld for quite some time. But it is true that it's the one time that we're punishing people for not just the crime, but also the beliefs behind the crime or the reasons behind the crime. Usually it's just something the judge takes into account in sentencing, but in these instances it does um, add a possible penalty to the crime. In my head, I'm thinking, like, you know, we can add punishment to somebody that is beating someone up based on their race or gender or whatever. Uh, like, is, we're just adding punishment. It seems like all the time we're adding punishment. I think Jill Billings was in here uh, the other day saying we're adding, we're trying to pass a law to add punishment to fentanyl dealers. Yeah. Um, and it's two different things, but somebody that is charged with a hate crime. There's something going on there. We almost, you know, they, hey, you're going to go to jail, and because it's a hate crime, you're going to jail longer right. as opposed to trying, and maybe they do, but like, hey, we should probably fix somehow your mentality there and why you you're, you committed the hate crime in its, of itself. Yeah, that's, that's a big question for the whole criminal justice system is does deterrence even work? Does punishing people change your behavior? Um, most people would say no, but we don't have a whole lot of other tools to work with. So... Um, until we have a different system, this is the one we operate under, that if you commit a crime, we have a punishment. could be a fine, could be jail time, could be prison time. Um, but, yeah, the, the legislature has determined and the courts have upheld that if you're doing it to a population that's already uh, at a disadvantage and might be getting harassed or crimes committed against disproportionately, they deserve more protection. Yeah, and we've, and we've seen this in the recent history here in La Crosse, right? The, we've seen some of this stuff. Uh, as a hate crime, right? Was it the, the taxi cab, like spray painting on that? Was that a hate crime? Or? Uh, well, the, yes. So the person was never caught, but it could be a hate crime. Um, but um, we have we have had a few. We don't have a lot, to be honest. Um, again, you don't always know someone's motive, but it does happen. Um, and I, I think, you know, I agree that there are some people in our society that are more vulnerable than others. And so the reason we have the laws is to try to protect them and maybe try to deter people from, from acting out on their, their feelings. All right, you got a you got a minute and a half here. Uh, Kevin texted in, asked Tim, so ask the DA what authority or role your office would have on police oversight. Not a lot of direct oversight. Um, if 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 an officer is accused of committing a crime, we would have, of course, the same authority we would of anybody else. Um, we don't really have a lot of authority to directly oversee the police. I can't tell the police chief or the sheriff do this, do that. Now, a lot of times. We do align and we do agree on things. We work together, and it, you know, it's rare that we have, you know, harsh disagreements. But if push came to shove, you know, I could not tell the chief to do this or that, arrest this person, don't arrest that person. So we don't really have a whole lot of oversight over the police, um, except in terms of being part of the system. And then, of course, if a crime is committed, then we do have the same authority as over anybody else. All right. So uh, next couple of weeks, really busy for you. Not so busy. 
very busy. Very busy. Is it is it because of the triple homicide and the Ken Hammer thing, or is there other stuff going on? There's always other stuff going on. That's two of them. Um, but uh, summers are always busier for us. Uh, people are out more. People are out longer. It just seems like more crime happens in the summertime. So, um, and we've also since COVID is kind of um, well, it was receding. We started scheduling trials, so we've got a lot of backup of trials to be doing. So this fall is pretty busy with trials. A lot of people waiting in jail for trials to get, to go or not as many uh i think we did a pretty good job of of not keeping people in jail too long but there are a lot of people waiting for trials that have been waiting a long time yeah and that because just that probably gets just eats at someone that like like i got i want to get this thing over with right. but frustrating for everybody all right that's lacrosse county district attorney tim grinke hey thanks a lot